Man, well, I didn't throw away your case for all this equipment, did I? Where's the case at? Nah, it's over here. Okay, I was I was like, it's supposed to be that man. That's it. <laughs> man. That man on a hot mic. Man, I'm over here trying to look out for you and you. You over here sneaking me. He didn't forget, y'all. He didn't forget man. he was on the hot mic. Like, he forgot to look at it. He forgot to look at it. Hey, hey. Da, da, da. Ladies and gentlemen, we back. We back. Man, what's going on today, man? Ah, oh, you know, another day, another, another set being dropped. Man, this here year is flying by. This show is. Man, it's damn near summertime. Already. Already. And you out here trans. What, what is, am I trying to say? What is trans? I'm out here trans. You calling me a tranny? <laughs> no. <laughs> Man, we, I meant to say transporting or like we about to get banned. Transitioning is okay. what I was trying to say, but I just went blank in oh, the middle of me about, saying it. I'm transitioning yes. from Southern Cali to Las Vegas. <laughs> <laughs> is that the transitioning you he talking says about? You calling me a tranny? <laughs> you were you saying I'm doing one of those? Uh, you trans? I'm doing one of those transitions uh, that uh, the former Olympic guy is doing. Well, what transition is that? You said the Olympic guy. Yeah. On the Wheaties box. What'd he do? Mr. Jenner. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I ain't been watching the news. I don't know what's going yeah, on in the world. Yeah, I'm talking about that, that, that. Yeah, nah, nah, nah. We okay. Ain't, we ain't trying to get canceled. I was just talking about how you was transitioning. Okay. But my mind literally went blank after I said trans. Yeah, I'm like, man, what's going on here? <laughs> you already done caught me on a hot mic. <laughs> What is good, y'all? Thank you for joining us on another episode of the great, informational, fun, listening, exciting, scent-giving podcast known as none other than the I Got Sense podcast. Man, you know what, Andre? I got to get a podcast as flowers. Okay. Shout out to the podcast. Yes, sir. The podcast is doing pretty good, man. We blowing up like we thought we could. You feel me? But did, I didn't even tell you, man. Look over here. Even though I got on the hoodie, look oh, what he I'm got wearing. the walk. He he unzipped his hoodie. Just imagine like <laughs> Superman when he do the little man. like, oh, I gotta go save the world. Shine just did that. He unzipped his shirt. Said, look at me, I got the walking scent give on. I got the scent giver shirt. I done <laughs> had a scent giver shirt on since noon today, man. <laughs> you but, ready? But I was complaining to you about that uh, 22 mile per hour breeze coming off the ocean. Oh out yeah. There. Man, it's supposed to be nice and it's nice and sunny today, but that breeze. Yeah, that's like somebody just blowing hot, not even hot breath, cold breath on the man, world right now on this they, side of town. They made me go take off them sandals and put on some socks and my fuzzy slippers. <laughs> my, my toes were nippy. Shyan Simmons, aka Walking Sense Giver, the aka Walking Sense Givers in the house, your boy. Big, big Snuggy. <laughs> big, big Snuggy, huh? Big Snuggy. Yes, sir. It's your boy DJ Dividends, aka Big Snuggy, <laughs> the original financial educator. We in the house today for another great we episode. We in the house, y'all. The I Got Sense podcast. Man, look at us. Who would have thought? Who would have thunk it? But anyway, man, like we were saying, thank y'all for joining us today. We got a good, hearty conversation we gonna have today. A good, solid, uh. Topic of substance. Is this is this here hearty or <laughs> controversial or is it a triggering? It might be all of the above. 
Yeah, because I, I know I, I constantly uh, have to uh, deal with uh, uh, individuals that uh, just don't um, subscribe to my outlook and my approach to uh, um, helping America help us live a better life. Yeah, or helping ourselves yeah. live a better life in America. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, I wrote the book about that. I, I um, Just a side note here. Um, um, the last couple of weeks, um, I've had a, a whole bunch of people come out of nowhere um, inquiring about how can they get a copy of my book that I wrote back in 2005. And mm. I just want to let the folks know that my book has not been in print since 2010. Mm-hmm. And um, I uh, consciously de- uh, decided um, that I didn't want to do another book. I've had four different publishers approach me mm-hmm. wanting to do another book. Um, and the book I wrote was a self-help uh, financial literacy book, um, uh, Get Out of Your Own Way, mm. How to Help America Help You Live a Better Life. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, I sold 80, oh, oh, 82,000 plus copies of that book, Andre. Um, and a lot of people are still inquiring about it. I guess somebody did some Google searches of me or yeah. somehow it came back to the forefront. A lot of people trying to get copies of it. But it's not back in print. And the information that I have in the book, um, it's a lot, a lot of uh, core fundamental stuff in there, but um, it does need to be uh, updated with, uh, you know, uh, um, what do they call it, addition uh, two with some yeah. updated information because all the information in it is applicable to the late 90s, early 2000s. Mm-hmm. But um, I simply uh, um, uh, have decided that strategically, um, I no longer want to uh, write a book and then go through um, the uh, process of what it takes to make the book successful, which mm-hmm. would require me to basically go on a radio and book signing tour for six to eight weeks, uh, yeah. you know, in a different city every day, um, three to four radio stations, then book signings at night at the bookstores, on the college campuses various places like that mm-hmm. um, trying to compete against a lot of voices out there that have platforms with millions and millions of followers mm-hmm. um, I've just chosen that the best way for me to uh, share my knowledge and continue doing what I'm doing is to use uh, social media and uh, of course uh, nowadays uh, you can find me on uh, TikTok and uh, my Patreon page uh, just look for the um, I Got Sense podcast but I just wanted to go off to the side um and tell people about that book, but my book ties back into today's topic mm-hmm. about uh you know balancing the detriment of slavery um, with trying to assimilate into mainstream America because that's where we kind of seem to be stuck as a race of people. Yeah, and I, I mean, shoot, absolutely, I couldn't agree more. Um, what does that mean to to the modern day? Um, I don't say big words, person. <laughs> <laughs> Well, because that's a mouthful right there. What's that? What's what's that translate to? I know, I know. We've uh, we've spoken about it in a little detail in mm-hmm. past uh, um, podcast episodes, um, but um, there seems to be uh, an even split right down the middle of how many people um, you know subscribe and believe the same way I believe that um, the society we live in um, is pretty much. Uh, built by white society um, Mm -hmm. from the U.S. Constitution um, all the way to the laws of today. Um, Everything that we do 
um, has some form of structure, mm-hmm. has consequences if you don't abide by it. Yeah. Um, 85% of all our politicians are traditional uh, European um, white males and females. Um, so the world we live in is a white world with white rules. Um, and um, the history, the ugly history of our country has been built on slavery. And um, I'll be the first to say that. Um, African people weren't the only ones enslaved over the history of the United States, but we um, had the harshest reality and impact of slavery because our skin tone allowed us to be easily identified Mm -hmm. as slavery, whereas other races and other ethnicities of people, um, they um, weren't readily um, identified um, like slaves, um, like we were. And so we have um, that history of slavery in the country, and now we are in the presence um, some nine generations later. We still can't seem to kind of overcome. And when I say overcome, I'm not saying forget about slavery, Mm -hmm. um, but I'm saying we seem to not be able to um, shake, shake, shake it. Shake it off of yeah, us. Yeah, it, it, it's still, it's, it still got us in a quandary. We're still in that gray cloud. And oftentimes, um, our anger about what has happened to our ancestors, our anger about the wealth gap between mm-hmm. where we are financially and where the rest of the world is, our anger about how everyone else is basically able to come into our communities and set up shop and extract money from our communities, and we never seem to be able to get a grasp on that. Um, that's something that is a constant battle. Yeah. Um, and, 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 and it hits as close to home uh, with me um, down to my, my youngest brother, Rico, who um, died um, back in 2003. Um, but we... Um, grew up in the same uh, uh, environment, born from the same mother, in the same ghetto, the same exact struggles. Um, I chose to go one direction. He chose to go the other. And he's always seen me as a sellout and a tool for the man, Mm -hmm. uh, so to speak, because I um, was in the streets hustling with him as a young cat. But... um, I realized real soon, early on in my um, uh, young adolescent life, that it's way tougher to be a street hustler because when you're a street hustler, you're looking over your shoulder for the police as well as all your homies too because they trying to jack in and get right. at your girl. Whereas when you kind of transition out of the streets and try to assimilate and abide by the rules and learn the laws of the land and use those laws to your advantage, um, you necessarily don't have to look over your shoulder a whole lot. You can kind of focus on moving forward. And the only thing you really have to uh, deal with is the, uh, you know, inherent racism that's still built into our society. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, the uh, black culture and the black community is divided, you know, basically 50-50. Half of us believe that we need to um, learn the laws, um, master the laws, perfect them and then use them to our advantage to get to where we're trying to be. And then the other half is still angry and upset, disenfranchised about slavery and how the rules still to this day are stacked against us. And therefore, they're not trying to assimilate. They're not trying to uh, uh, collaborate. 
Um, they're talking about getting some get back or getting on the boat or the plane and going back to Africa. And, 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 and that's a wedge that has consistently been driven down the middle of our community. Yeah. And um, today I wanted to talk about the economics of what that means, um, trying to assimilate back into our American society. And if you don't want to assimilate, what are the implications of that? Yeah, no, absolutely. And I, I like how you validated the fact that although time has passed, the, the reasons why we struggle as a people to get out of this, <clears throat> excuse me, this mindset isn't because we haven't tried to to make a change in the past. You acknowledge the fact that, you know, there were moments where we made strides as a people and as a community where we had communities full of just lawyers, doctors, mm -hmm. every store on the corner is black owned. Every business on the corner is black yeah. owned, thriving and successful. But then, you know, who come in and just yeah. you know, dismantle it. Um, you know, Tulsa is absolutely. the, uh, is the uh, um, symbolic, uh, Representation, Point, representation of, that, yeah. of uh, how we did thrive, how we are, were trying mm -hmm. to move forward, but um, you know, uh, uh, mainstream uh, white society uh, uh, saw that and uh, wanted to keep us under their thumb, and they basically came in and destroyed Tulsa. And Tulsa is only one of about nineteen cities that were similar to. Yeah. Um, that success that we had experienced in the early 1900s. Absolutely. And then also on the on, on the flip side, we also acknowledge the fact that as a result of the mistreatment of our people, we are one of the only uh, cultures that has not received reparations. For, right. Um, so these are all valid reasons to feel as though, you know, why should we assimilate? Why should we just fall in line and, in, in with society and why should right. we uh, work for the for the man? <laughs> yeah, and I, and I get it because, like I've said on on many other episodes as well, um, we we are one of the very few people that no longer have a homeland. Despite yeah. what we say about going back to Africa, Africa is a large continent. Mm -hmm. Africa has fifty four countries in it. So going back to the homeland is kind of vague, but yeah. uh, we, um, as Africans in America, we've been over here since, uh, you know, the early 1400s going forward. And so when you go back to Africa, um, they're not those welcoming arms like we would like to think they are. So we're the people that uh, uh, don't have a homeland. And so... Without that homeland and, and, and without that foundation um, to go back and tap into the natural resources that our own land, homeland would offer us, instead we were enslaved here um, almost 400 years beginning in Europe and then, you know, that started uh, spreading over to the Caribbeans and eventually over to the United States. Mm -hmm. But we were enslaved um, up until the late 1800s. And then all of a sudden in uh, 1863, 1867, whichever year it was, um, when uh, we were emancipated, the government said, hey, slavery is over with. And uh, the South was forced to just release us all. But we were released yeah. with no, uh, no culture. Uh, no, no identity, foundation, no, no foundation, yeah. no sense of who we are. We were stripped of everything and then just released. Exactly. And then we were released. And so from day one out of slavery, we have always looked to 
white society for the gold standard. That's what we've always strived for. So we still have this here psychological cloud over us that makes us believe that white ice gets colder than black ice, mm-hmm. that the white neighborhood is the better neighborhood to move into, that ultimately white beauty is better than black beauty. And I can go down the list on and on and on and talk about how everything deemed white is considered good and pure mm-hmm. and everything that's deemed black, um, like uh, Muhammad Ali famously said, is deemed uh, negative and dark and evil. Mm-hmm. And so we still have carried that on um, for all these generations and still today, um, a lot of that is still embedded in a lot of us. Mm-hmm. We simply can't get over the fact that we were enslaved and even after uh, being enslaved for 400 years, white society then used, um, you know, um, um, redlining, uh, reconstruction, um, um, all types of discriminations, Jim Crow. Mm-hmm. They wrote the laws and rigged the system so that ultimately we would fail no matter what. Um, even when slavery was over, that's why um, they eventually created a chain gang. And anybody standing around um, considered lottering and not doing anything um, was uh, easily uh, apprehended and threw on the chain gang. And one of the main charges was, well, if you don't have a job and you're just standing around, then now you're you're breaking the law and we're going to imprison you. And back then... Nobody was hiring us. So, yeah. you know, it's a catch 22. So, it's like, how can you contribute to society when society's not allowing you to contribute? Exactly. And even with the uh, Constitution, the way it was written, uh, you know, we're not even considered human. Right. But because we're a significant part of the population in the South, um, the South lobbied to, uh, for us to be counted as three-fifths three, of, a, three fifths. Three fifths yeah. of a person, but we still don't have a voting right. Mm-hmm. And so all of those things, um, even though they don't um, overtly impact us today, um, covertly, that's still a part of our DNA, and a lot of us simply can't get beyond that. Mm-hmm. No, Am I, I rambling on too much? No, I, I think you're doing a great job highlighting some key reasons as to why us as a culture or people within our culture tend to struggle with assimilating into society or finding their place in society, uh, mainstream economics specifically. Right. Um, you know, I think this, this, this ties into this topic, but I think as a people, we have to do a better job of uplifting each other and not pointing the finger at each other. Um, I can say for myself, I've even fallen victim to pointing the finger, um, and not doing a better job of uplifting. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> and what I mean by this is, you know, we have, I've being someone who is multiracial, uh, my grandparents, my, on my dad's side, grandfather's from Alabama, last name's Crenshaw. Obviously there's a Crenshaw. If you don't know, there's a Crenshaw plantation in Alabama. So I would argue that maybe his grandmother or great grandmother was a descendant from that plantation. Um, his skin complexion darker than mine by like three or four shades. Then my grandmother, she's full bred Filipino Hawaiian skin complexion is lighter than mine. Um, mother side of family, uh, father, as far as I know from California, uh, grandmother from California, Mm -hmm. red hair, freckles, black, but fair complexion. 
Uh, so I've I have cousins who are Japanese and black. They look like literally like brown skin Asian kids. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, um, so I come from a unique situation or a unique um, perspective when it comes to culture. Um, I've been exposed to a lot, and I've been very welcoming and warm and, and open to to culture as a whole. Um, mm-hmm. I would often struggle with the ideal of being quote-unquote pro-black like you, you have to date black you have to love black on black you have to black mm-hmm. black black blackity black everything black right. um and i would get frustrated because it's like coming being that i'm multiracial and i come from the background of like i'm not saying don't love black but i'm also not saying disregard everything else and i felt like a lot of the times that was the message that i would often hear but what i've as I've matured and gotten older and experienced more, I've learned to realize that you kind of need everything. Like you kind of need pro black and you kind of need, uh, the non like multiracial black. And, mm-hmm. you know, as, as a people, I think we could do a better job instead of pointing the finger at them. Like, yo, y'all should promote X, Y, and Z. No, it'd be like, you know, I'm glad you promote that. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, you know, I'm, I'm proud to promote this as well. Um, at the end of the day, your assignment and my assignment are the same assignment. It's just that your strategy to, in, to, to enter or to execute is different than mine. Yeah. I think a lot of the times uh, we as a culture tend to draw the line like you have to be militant like a Malcolm X. And if you're not militant like a Malcolm X, you have to be peaceful like a Martin Luther King. Like um, you you talk to someone who's militant, they're like, nah, you pussy. Or, you know what I'm saying? Or someone who's peaceful, you're like, nah, yeah. you a killer. Like, no, yeah. like. Right. Your plan of action is your plan of action. We both striving for the same thing at the end of the day. Yeah, and I think Let's work together. <laughs> yeah, but I, I, I think uh, like you just defined the two major uh, opposing sides: mm-hmm. uh, the uh, Martin Luther King yeah. uh, approach versus the Malcolm X approach, the young Malcolm X approach. Right. I think the young Malcolm X approach has been adapted. Um, and ingrained in our culture because at some point in time you suffer from enough racism and discrimination you see enough of it and you um, have a lot of firsthand knowledge of what has happened to your descendants and everything and you basically uh, uh, shape the ideology that this world that white folks have built for us will never ever accept us Mm -hmm. and because they will never ever accept us and they demonstrated to me every day in the way the laws are written the way the police is enforce them the way we're redlined and we can't get a fair shake at the bank the way we don't get a fair shake when we apply for a job the way that they don't want us in their neighborhoods Mm -hmm. the way they don't want us in their restaurants the way they don't want us um you know being in interracial relationships with white women and all these things um i think the the militant side of it has already assumed that there's no hope for any type of um um i guess uh integration yeah and therefore i'm never ever going to assimilate to mainstream society i'm gonna do it and make it happen within the constructs of my black community and among my people and only my people Mm -hmm. um now me personally I think that that approach is not realistic. Mm -hmm. And let me tell you why I think it's not realistic. It's not realistic because given the history of this here uh, country Mm -hmm. and where we are today, 
we still have no equity. Mm -hmm. So we don't control um, the, the federal government. Um, very few of us in politics that get to vote and represent black constituencies at the federal level, at the state level, at the local level, even except for a few cities. And I think this past election was a testament of, of that. Our voice matters and they realize how much our voice matters and how much our vote uh, sways right. um, elections. But when it comes to representation, it's more so like, oh, sh I feel like it comes across more so like, oh, shit, we got to go talk to the black community. Let's find somebody yeah. that could that we could, but that I could think, do that yeah, for us. <laughs> that, that's the crux of what we're talking about today because we do have a lot of power in, um, you know, unity. Mm -hmm. um, we can uh, make a difference if we all come together and collectively, collectively move in the same direction yeah. at the same time. Um, the problem that we're running into is that typically when we do unify, we unify for reasons that really don't benefit us long term mm -hmm. or get us the equity that we deserve here in the country because we don't have any ownership. We don't have um, anything that we can uh, tap into and draw from as a natural resource. Um, like if Africa was our actual homeland, mm -hmm. we could go back over there and tap into some of those natural resources over there and bring them over here, import them over here and set up shop just like you see every other race of people do. Yeah. We don't have any of that stuff, so we really don't have any equity. And without any equity, um, all of our unity and everything really doesn't budge the needle enough for us. And, and I think that's where a lot of the problem is coming from because we don't have any ownership in anything. So not only do we not have equity, we're not drawing that equity. And the the, the gap between um, what we have and what everyone else has, there's an ocean between all of that stuff. Yeah. Does that make sense what I'm saying to you? No, it makes it makes perfect sense. And, and when you say equity, I just want to clarify for the listeners, it's not saying that you don't own anything in life. It's more so you don't, as as a as a culture, we don't have we don't any control any power in these positions right. of power. Um, where it's like they kind of got a kowtow to us right. to get an answer. And most of the time, it's like only one or two of us, and we got to kind of either kowtow or figure it out. Um, my question to you, Sean, is what do you think about how do you think classism comes into into play when it comes to um, assimilating into mainstream economics. Well, the, the, that's what uh, racism and discrimination has evolved to um, mm -hmm. nowadays. It's basically classism now. Mm -hmm. It's not necessarily um, um, exclusively skin color. Skin color plays a big role, but now the economic um, part of it matters more. Mm -hmm. So um, we don't want um, um, people of a certain ilk moving into our communities now because they are blue collar gotcha. or they don't have enough money to be here. Um, we don't necessarily want to service people um, when they walk in the bank, not because of their skin color, but because you only have enough money to keep the account afloat from paycheck to paycheck. Mm -hmm. I want to cater and deal with someone who can come in here with $200,000 and open up account that way. So the classism um, is the new um, racism and discrimination of what uh, racism based on skin color and ethnic background was of yesterday. Got you.
No, that makes perfect sense. Um, being a small business owner and someone who started their business from the ground up, I can see from a capitalist perspective how classism affects how you operate your business and how you target certain mm-hmm. uh, financial groups. Not even, not, not even um, like me personally. I mean, my my biggest reason for creating uh, our video production company, Cali Creations, was to provide a resource to the community. And I've been heavily involved in doing so. But in doing so, you also realize the level of expectation and then uh, the level. Let me be more transparent. The level of expectation from certain clients uh, is a little absurd (laughs) when when you're, you know, you're already bending over backwards. Um, The level of treatment and responsibility from Mm -hmm. certain clients is is also uh, something that I had to take in consideration. And you quickly realize that those who may not necessarily come from. Um, an affluent situation or those who may not necessarily have the financial means to invest in the services uh, tend to be the more difficult clients to work with. And I'm not even attaching a, a skin color to it. I'm just being generic because it's the facts. Yeah, well, I mean, that, that goes back to what I said about uh, having that mindset that white ice, white ice gets colder than black yeah. ice. So typically if you are the entrepreneur the business owner that was somehow, some way able to scrape together the capital, put the business plan together, executed and set up the business. And now your business primarily caters to um, a certain community or a certain race of people. Mm-hmm. Um, now that you are, um, uh, um, have been um, blessed and fortunate enough to be able to start that business. Yeah. Now, those very customers who you provide that service to tend to try to leverage you and say, Hey, I could be taking my business across town to someone that's bigger, that's better. That's going to deliver me a better product. Mm -hmm. At least in their mind, they're thinking that, but they try to leverage that. But in exchange, if you want me to continue to do business for you now, I want twice as much, twice as fast mm. as that person across town can do to me, mm-hmm. you know, or else I'm going to take my business somewhere else. Yeah. Is, is that kind of what you're saying? Yeah. You're basically hitting the nail in the coffin. Like the expectation from those who don't have a lot to invest in it is way higher than the expectation from those who have the most to invest in it. And again, there's no color attached to this because I've worked with clients that are black who Ain't come from money, and I work for clients who are black who come from money. <laughs> and I tell you one thing: color ain't got nothing to do with it. That's why I yeah. asked the class question. But yeah. that 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 um that that's a good way for me to segue into asking, like, how do you think character plays, uh, or do you think character plays a role in what we're talking about today? It, it, character does play a role in it. Mm-hmm. However. You have to put a footnote to that and qualify character. Yeah, yeah. Because ultimately, there's going to be pure character. Either you are a person of integrity and morals and ethics, or you're not. Absolutely. However, once you live long enough and get enough experience, now your character, your morality, your ethics, now they have some somewhat um, been reshaped. Mm-hmm. Because now you have to balance character, morality, and ethics with the reality of the situation that you're in. Yeah. And oftentimes, if you are a pure um, 
uh, moral person or ethical person, the decisions that you make could ultimately cost someone their lives or their livelihood mm-hmm. or something of that nature. So you kind of have to find a balance um, between the two. You, you understand what I'm saying? Like, for instance, if you see um, a child go in and shoplift mm-hmm. um, and the police question you about it. Yeah. You know, you might be an upstanding law-abiding citizen, citizen, a person of morality, character, ethics, and everything. But you being a pure moralist, would you really compromise that child's entire future by saying, yes, I saw him shoplift and go testify him and ruin his life? Or would you say, no, the spirit and intent of the law doesn't really fit the crime. And instead of me testifying against him, instead I would tell law enforcement and the courts that I didn't see anything and then go try to remedy the situation addressing that child's family or something like that. So does, yeah. am I, and I, am I kind of making no, sense making, of what I'm saying? You're making perfect sense. You're making perfect sense. I think basically what you're saying is you have to, it's, it's, it's a, uh, it's complicated. Yeah, it's a <laughs> yeah. case by case scenario, and there's no one one answer. Right, and uh, and that's what makes it so difficult about this here topic that we're having here, because like I, I referenced earlier, my brother has always seen me as a sellout. Yeah, because I decided to tr- I, I I decided to transition out of the streets mm-hmm. from hustling and getting money the quick, fast way, illegal way, and going into the classroom and sitting down and reading my books, going to the university, getting a credential from a a university that white societies deemed a credential um, university, and then going into corporate America and dealing with um, all the barriers and challenges that are put in place to prevent me from being successful, I still went down that path and I was able to still navigate through it and get to a point where I was successful to the point where um, my success gave me the resources and tool, tools to move away from where blacks are typically redlined at. Mm-hmm. And he, on the other hand, um, felt like he needed to keep it real and he was a hood dude and I'm going to keep getting money in the streets because ain't no way I'm going down there to punch no clock and work for no white man. You know, you know that kind of stuff. And so right. that's the dynamic that I live with my younger brother, um, for all these years, and we had a very complicated relationship uh, up until I ultimately had to take him off a of, uh, child. So uh, I had to take him off a of life support. Mm-hmm. No, I mean, understandably so. As far as the complications of y'all's relationship, I could put myself in your shoes. Could only imagine. Uh, and and I know I'm kind of like it may seem like I'm spitballing questions, but I promise you, the questions I'm asking in my head they directly correlate to the topic. Of today's conversation so my next question would be uh navigating that that crabs in a barrel mentality like uh when it's your own family when it's your own friends when it's people that you was you know growing up with um mm-hmm. now looking at you sideways because you've either reached some level of success or you've chosen to take initiative of your life versus um being complacent and making excuses for the circumstances um, you're actually solving and and solving the circumstances or providing solutions to your own life by taking initiative. Gotcha. I, I understand exactly what you're saying, mm-hmm. but let me, let me uh, 
answer this in two ways. Mm-hmm. First and foremost, I've lived long enough and I'm wise enough now to acknowledge that we as a race of people um, oftentimes have a crab and a barrel mentality, I sort of speak. Mm-hmm. Um, but before I ridicule that, I would first qualify by saying that we have to still look back at why we're in the damn barrel in the first place. Right. Because white folks put us in there. Yeah. yeah. So we're in there for a reason. We didn't just so happen to get in there. Right. It's not something that from birth we're ingrained with. It's right. more so from birth we're taught it because it's passed down. Right, exactly. And that's that trauma that we've never been able to get over from slavery um, to start this here country. So now with that being said, absolutely that crabs in a barrel mentality is prevalent amongst our people. Mm-hmm. And I've always um, likened it to, it's not a matter of your own not wanting to see you get ahead. It's more so your own being afraid to do for themselves or like, afraid. Oh, they're, they're being afraid that you're going to leave them behind. Yeah. And oftentimes rather than see you, um, get out because you stood on a couple of shoulders and you had a couple of um, other hands help lifting you up mm-hmm. and they didn't get the same hand up that you got or they weren't in the right position because of some of the decisions they made and they were kind of on the bottom and you're kind of standing on top of them. Mm-hmm. Then therefore they feel that you don't necessarily deserve to leave them behind and they would rather pull you back down with them because that gives them a little more, um, um, I say uh, relief that they have someone to suffer in misery with. Mm-hmm. Then you go on and leave them behind and risk the chance of you not coming back to get them. Now, now, what do you feel? Are you familiar with the terminology or the phrase breaking generational curses? Absolutely. Yeah. How do you feel about that? Like, what are your thoughts on that? Um, I think it's uh, very simple, um, but at the same time, it's uh, very difficult to execute. So it sounds kind of like uh, our last conversation on the most recent podcast talking about NFTs. And you were like, well, what could we do? Right. And I was like, well, <laughs> this yeah. answer is going to sound real simple. Yes, yeah. we can do it. However, it's yes. pretty, uh, it's a, it's a yeah. complex process to, to it, do. It, it is no different than it's very simple to take a look at what your income is and mm-hmm. set up a budget. Makes uh, makes all the sense in the world. Yeah. Now, when you go to execute that budget, almost <laughs> impossible to do because there's so many other distractions out there yeah. that are pulling you one way or the other. And um, I think this is the same circumstance here with generational curses. You're born into a bad situation. Um, your mom had you when she was a teenager. Mm-hmm. The father wasn't around. You had to grow up in the ghetto, which uh, had, you know, um, poorly funded and staffed um, schools. You got a bad education. And so as you check the list of everything that's going to help you repeat the generational curse, um, it's easy to see how it's hard to break the generational curse because it takes a lot of wherewithal and a strong-willed mind and a lot of help from the village to help break that cycle because if a young lady sees her mother as a struggling single parent teenager, um, not, not a great education, making minimum wages, um, 
multiple relationships because she was never in a stable relationship with the fa- with your father, mm-hmm. things like that. Um, it's very easy for that young lady to fall down that same pattern because that's what she's being indoctrinated with seeing her mom right. as she grows up. Right. So it's one thing to say, let's break the generational curse by giving you resources, giving you some more training and showing you a different way, but you're still competing against the environment that you're in and you end up um, oftentimes falling into that same pattern that you see your mother grew up. And when you take a look at it, it goes back two, three, four generations. Yeah. No, I mean, what I'm, what I'm, what I'm hearing here is uh, a, a few different things. Uh, and t- if we talk in solutions, um, those of you who don't know, I'm, I'm still fairly young in my eyes. I'm very young, only 29 years old, getting ready to be 30 this year. Whoop, welcome to the 30 Club. <laughs> um, <laughs> but just uh, reflecting on my life and others, um, witnessing the downfall of a lot of people, whether it's family members or whether it's uh, friends or acquaintances, past friends, whatever, even myself, um, I think it's important to have self-accountability here. So I'll start there, uh, witnessing my own downfalls or habits or um, generational curses that I could have potentially fallen in. Um, the solution that came to mind was, what are my habits? You know, mm-hmm. you wanna, you wanna, you wanna make a change, but yeah, you can, you can clearly see where you're supposed to be or where you want to be, but why is it that you're not getting there? What are you doing daily that's causing you to be there, or causing you not to be there? Mm-hmm. And uh, reflecting on all those things I mentioned, I would I would like to propose like habits, um, the habits that are passed down from generation to generation tend to be either the curse or the blessing. So right. you take a yeah. look at a family who's it's a hypothetical situation. You take uh, the Adam family, and the Adam family may come from an affluent situation but the habit that's passed down is building a financial foundation and budgeting and then Mm. you look at the alex family and the alex family um the affluence was broken by the second generation why because the habit of building a financial foundation or Mm -hmm. uh budgeting wasn't passed down to that next generation um so if we take a look at the across the board uh, it, it from a logical statistical uh, perspective, without accounting for the emotion of of the this, this scenarios, you can kind of see those habits. Like uh, you look at a family who they continuously have kids at a young age. Well, why is mm-hmm. that? The habit of well, maybe the mother's a single mother working, and the, the daughter or the son is out running the streets, or the habit of allowing them to, to have people over a lot the habit of not having conversations about protection or just the habit of encouraging that sort of behavior. Like in my eyes, um, and I, I, obviously it's easier said than done, but I just acknowledge that habits tend to be the downfall of a lot of people. Yeah, I, I would agree a hundred percent. Um, but not only, uh, habits, even before you get the habits, at least for me, mm-hmm. um, because I grew up in a dire situation. Mm-hmm. But before I got to developing good habits for me to change my trajectory, yeah. um, it was my mindset. 
Gotcha. And so my mindset, I, I, I am so for, I'm not a religious man, yeah. but I am so fortunate and blessed to have, had, God. to have had the <laughs> mindset. Yeah. I've always had the mindset that I learned some of my best lessons by watching other people screw up. Yeah. And so that was with my own family. Um, my my uh, uncles, um, the black men in my community, um, the black community at large, I was able to sit around and watch, okay, you robbed a bank. Mm-hmm. You ended up going to jail. Then your mom and daddy broke up because they got on in an argument about whether or not to get a mortgage on the house to get a lawyer to defend you. Yeah. And then they did it anyway, and then ultimately you went to court, and then when you went to court, the truth came out, and you did do it. You right. lied to your mama the whole while. Your daddy was like, no, nah, we're not going to put the house up. So things like that or you know, seeing another uncle have seven different children from seven different women mm-hmm. um, by the time, uh, you know, he was age 35. Those types of things, um, fortunately for me, when I saw those types of uh, um, things play out, like, oh, no, I, ain't having that. I learned that I don't know where the hell I'm going at in my life, yeah. but I'm not doing Knowing that. that. Yeah. yeah, because I don't like the results that you got from that. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, just simple things like, hey, if I know this here guy is already dating that girl over there, even though she in my face, I'm not fooling with her because I don't want to deal with the drama because if he decides to defend her and check me because she's coming after me, now I'm dealing with fighting this here dude every day or possibly him killing me or me having to kill him right. over some foolishness over this here one girl when it's 50,000 girls around here. Mm-hmm. So it's like those little things have always been a mindset of me to see, hey, you touch the stove, it's hot, your hand get blistered. Mm-hmm. I don't want no blisters, so I ain't touching the damn stove. <laughs> That's always been the mindset I've had. And yeah. because I've had that mindset, I have been able to transition that mindset and execute it into good habits. Right. Let me form the type of habits that I need to have so that I don't end up like Uncle 1, 2, 3, and 4 mm-hmm. and Mr. Willie down the street and the other dude that I went to school with and the girl over there at the park. All those different things where they had bad outcomes, I have a blueprint of what not to do now. And that's what's helped me. I don't know if that makes a lot of sense to the listeners out there or if that gives you clarity on how I developed the habits that I needed to have to get to where I needed to be. But it was my mindset of making sure I didn't fall down the same uh, follow down the same path as a lot of people around me right. that ended up down some dark alleys getting hit over the head. No, absolutely. I, I, I 100% understand what you're saying. That resonates with, with me. Um, it's funny because I recently created a video on uh, mindset. I did a, <clears throat> excuse me, I created a video um, helping people to realize what sort of mindset they have, whether it's a fixed mindset or a growth mindset. Mm-hmm. And I can also, uh, I can also say now that I just, you know, in hindsight, think about the catalyst for my improvements for myself or the development of myself. It started with the awareness of my mindset. Mm-hmm. Um, I can also say that I was strong in my mindset of realizing like, Hey, I would learn from such and such not to do that. Right. Um, and I'm also a firm believer, like 
it don't matter where you come from, you're capable of doing anything. It's just mm-hmm. a matter of your energy and effort that you put into what it is that you're trying right. to do. Um, so I guess it's safe to say then that um, on top of what was the thing that I had mentioned? What thing? <laughs> what were we about talking about habits? before mindset? Habits. On okay. top of habits, um, it's a, it's like a cultivation of a, of awareness. You, you're aware of your habits, but your habits are dictated by the mindset you have. Right. So yeah. as long as you have that self-awareness to assess, like, okay, what are my habits? Well, what's my mindset about these habits? Because you can know what the good habits are, but if your mindset is fucked right. up, excuse my, excuse my language, but it messed up, then you ain't going to do the habits. That's going to be yeah. beneficial to you. And I wouldn't want to say messed up in the sense of comparing that to our overall topic today about, uh, you know, balancing the detriment <laughs> of slavery and, uh, and, and, and with the assimilation yeah. to mainstream society. But it's clearly a different mindset if you take the uh, – um, Malcolm X approach yeah. versus the Dr. King approach. Mm-hmm. And ultimately that mindset that you have on either side is going to drive the types of habits you start to form. Yeah. So um, Dr. King mindset, let me kind of work through it, navigate, um, sacrifice, sometimes turn the cheek, yeah. bite my tongue, take the scenic route to get there, but ultimately I'm going to get there mm-hmm. as opposed to the Malcolm X approach. No, I'm going to be indignant. I'm yeah. going to stand up. I'd rather die like a dog in the streets than bow down and conform to what this here um, society is telling me I have to do in right. order to go out and get a job and provide for my family and take care of them and us all get to a higher level than where we are now. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like I said, I wouldn't necessarily say the mindset is messed up. It's like from, I don't know, the stars are lining, um, it's uh, one of your those, personal experiences or whatever. It's I probably one of those, sorry to interrupt, it's probably one of those things where um, you would do better if you knew better. Like you can't fault yourself for what you don't know. Mm-hmm. Sort of a deal, right? So um, if we're talking about, Mindset, and this is why I believe this is why I struggle with like the pro anything mindset because it's like, okay, well, my first question is to you, to anybody pro anything is like, well, why are you, why are you pro this? Have you mm-hmm. tried this? And this is um, connecting <laughs> that I that analogy or whatever with another one. And when people say, oh, I don't like eggs. Well, have you tried eggs? Mm-hmm. No. Well, how you know you don't like them? Right. Um. Tying it all together back to if you know better, you do better. That's why I believe it's important to be uh, open, uh, to expose yourself to more. I think um, one of the downfalls that I've witnessed within myself and also within our community um, at some point is the exposure to not necessarily better, but different. Because when you expose yourself to different, you're able to assess your perspective changes you're a little more open to different ideas or you know for a fact what you're not open to Mm -hmm. um and i obviously within reason i mean um i'm i'm more so um speaking to the ideals of finance and investing and and being open to those conversations more so than anything else from a social standpoint but yeah yeah i get what you're saying though because you have to have some different experiences in order for you to know that there's something better out there or there's something different out there. Be- yeah, like if you've been if you've been raised in a household where it was 12 people in your house at all times in a three bedroom and you ain't never normalized. been exposed to nothing else, that's normal to you. Right, exactly. Until you go to 
Jake's house and you like, yo, it's three people in a twelve thousand square foot home. That was my what the heck? That was my experience. <laughs> I really didn't know how poor we were until the fifth grade when my grandmother um, allowed me to start going over uh, some of my friends' house because I was bus twenty six miles away um, in Jacksonville. We were the uh, second class to be integrated um, back in the uh, uh, mid seventies. So I didn't know I was poor until um, I uh, had a classmate named Lair. My grandmother let me go over to a birthday party one time, and uh, that led to me being able to go to his home after school. And yeah. then uh, my grandfather would pick me up later on, um, something to that effect. But being exposed, um, spending the night at Lair's house over in the Mirror Rose community, as opposed to over in the Brentwood projects back in the trap, <laughs> it was like being in China. Yeah. I was I'm, I was like ten million miles away from home. Yeah. Had his own bedroom, had a television in there. Mm-hmm. Mother laid his clothes out for him. Um, you know, she brought snacks. Yeah. Um, we all sat at the dinner table to, together. Um, just just a, 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 an experience that I never. Um, uh, new existing and everything. Now, I understood a mother and a father, mm-hmm. uh, two adults being in the household and there being a family structure, but the dynamics, the economics. Seeing it play out seeing was it a different out, experience. Totally yeah. different experience. And we can see that in just about every um, American sitcom. There's typically yeah. some type of episode where they contrast the differences between, you know, uh, ethnic households right. versus white households, and uh, it's eye opening. But I, I, I see what you're saying. It's eye opening when you experience new things. And as much as um, I wanted to rush and get out of the military after they sent me over to Iraq, mm-hmm. um, I still to this day um, credit the military for helping me open my eyes and spread my wings yeah. to see something totally different because I had never even had a bagel. I didn't know what the hell a bagel was <laughs> until I went to the military, yeah. let alone get on an airplane. You know, uh, um, just the different things that the military offered me, traveling and being in different environments and being in an environment where everybody wasn't black. Um, you know, the protocol um, the uh, the standards of behavior and conduct, mm-hmm. all those things really exposed me. Going on the campus at the University of Texas and being in a, a classroom environment, yeah. all of those things were totally different because the standards in those environments were totally different from the standards in my own community. Right. And so oftentimes when we start talking about uh, the detriment of assimilating into a mainstream society, it's typically those blacks that have the least exposure to something outside of their own community. They really can't comprehend why they have to conform to rules that they're not typically used to. One of the classic ones that I deal with still to this day is whenever I'm dealing with uh, an employee um, that's black, unfortunately, um, that's hired into a corporate environment, mm. they can't comprehend why they can't bring their radio to their desk <laughs> and put it on the hip-hop channel, the hip-hop station, and then turn it up where the music can be. They can't comprehend yeah. that, no, you have to turn that down so that only you can hear it in your cubicle. I mean, I, I get it. I get it. Andrew, you know, Andrew didn't have the music loud at right. the cubicle, but he definitely had them headphones on 24-7. Yeah. 
or you know the the the, the, the fight that you see now about hair, yeah, um, forcing corporate America to accept dreads mm-hmm. or um, locks, that locks, political uh, you know, uh, the big giant uh, hairdos that our uh, yeah. women like to indulge braids, mm-hmm. all those types of things. Now we see that we're going into the corporate American setting and human resources are trying to take that in consideration. Absolutely. But those are even the tattoos, tattoos. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Piercings. But yeah. those are the types of things that are very difficult for um, almost half of our community to really assimilate to because they interpret it as bowing down to the white man and following their rules. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I'm on the other side of the coin saying that at the end of the day, my personal feelings about slavery and my personal feelings about whether I should have to assimilate, they don't supersede and outweigh my need to provide for my family, and I want to give my my family better. Mm-hmm. So I'm not going to be um, back over in the hood hustling and selling out of the trunk of my car and doing what I can to make ends meet in survival mode when I can go over here and uh, work my way in, in, into this here setting here and probably make four or five times more than I can do in the streets hustling yeah. um, and uh, give my, my family something better. And, and and that's the whole thing about it because when we start talking about we're not going to bow down to the white man, we're going to go back to Africa, blah, 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 blah. That typically means that you've already subscribed to hustling in the streets or getting by by any means necessary. Yeah. Well, when you do that, your criminal activity, that's going to just fund the whole police system. That validates why your taxes go to the police system and now you're paying all those police salaries. Mm-hmm. And then once you get um, apprehended by the police, now you go into the court systems. Now your criminal activity has not only helped fund salaries for the police, but now it's funding the salaries for the judges, the court reporters, the whole court system. And then ultimately when they find you guilty of a crime and you get incarcerated, now that helps fund, you know, the infrastructure of being in jail, bail bondsmen, parole officers, you know, you got to go to anger management class because you got in a shouting match with your boyfriend, all those types of things. So even when you choose not to assimilate or at least learn the rules of mainstream society and you tend to rebel, um, the system is rigged to you're going to pay even more going that route Mm -hmm. than you uh, can by assimilating and learning the rules of the lands and not because when me being in corporate America, I don't look at it as the white man's rules. I just look at it as this is the rules to the game. Mm -hmm. So I go in and I learn them rules and I master those rules and then I leverage them to my advantage to get to where I want to be. Right. Now I totally agree with what you just said. Uh, I want to reverse a little bit because you made a good point um, that I want to kind of build, expand on, which was when you said those who are lacking exposure within our culture communities tend to be the ones that um, are least likely to assimilate or least open to the idea more of likely to rebel more likely to rebel mm-hmm. um <clears throat> i think i think the i'd like to say that the term assimilate has a negative connotation it does and if we could figure out a way to 
adapt adapt that terminology <laughs> or evolve that terminology yeah. to be something that's a little more welcoming and a little more empowering mm-hmm. i think the idea of uh i like conforming is even a negative connotation yeah. in some d- regard. yeah I, but I, I think yeah. i think just to, you, figure out a way to shift how to say look we, i think exposure is key here like it's not so much assimilation. It's more so, look, you're used to this. I need you to see this. And then you make a decision for yourself what you want. You haven't mm-hmm. seen you haven't seen option B, C, or D. You're so used to option A. And you're right. comfortable in option A. Right. How do you know that option B, C, or D is not for you if you're you've never experienced it? Because I'd I'd like to honestly, like, and I'd go out on this hill and die alone. <laughs> I'd be the one to say, like, look, if you're used to this, if you used to being in the trap, if you used to being in the hood, if you used to being in your community only, and it's not the most um, elevated community, until you, if you were exposed to these these other options, and I'm not even saying I'm not putting the color on it because there are affluent black communities, there are um, black communities that have that are in a different tax bracket. Mm-hmm. You add the color to whatever community you is, but other options outside of what you're used to. Nine times out of ten, I guarantee the person's not going to want to stay in them circumstances. They're going to start adapting a different mindset for themselves, and their awareness for their circumstances and their habits is going to change. I know I because that's what happened to me. I, I can agree. <laughs> now, um, let me say this here, um, not as a counter, but to supplement what you just said. Um, I also yeah. want to say that I understand it is a privilege to be able to be exposed to different things as yeah. well. Yeah, but now I, I agree that assimilation has a lot of negative connotation. Mm-hmm. Um, um, but I would supplement that by saying I've also been fortunate enough to live in just about every major metropolitan that has a significant black population. Mm-hmm. D.C., Atlanta, uh, Houston, Dallas, uh, Chicago, of course, out here in L.A. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been in some major markets. And even as a black person with a southern access, uh, with a southern accent that don't mind being over in the hood and the trap, mm-hmm. even when we move from city to city, depending where that city is within the United States, we still have to assimilate. Right. Because trust me, if you move from black L.A. to black Atlanta, it's a whole lot of assimilation yeah. got, that's got to go on. You, but move- that's what I was saying. I guess that's like uh, almost piggybacking on what I was saying. Like you're exposed to something different now. You, right. You can't use the excuse why well, I'm assimilating to the white man. Now you get to right. see how your people move in a different class. Right. Exactly. And so that's why. And you I- realize like it's oh maybe it's not so much like oh it's the white man or it's the white people. It's more so like maybe it's a reflection of just being exposed being to something exposed different. To a different class yeah. or different you know right, different absolutely. tier of. Exactly. Living. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So that that's the point <clears throat> that I wanted to get to today that as we uh, move forward and we try to improve ourselves and navigate through this thing called life. Mm-hmm. Um, not to say that we need to forget our history, um, but not allow our history and the disenfranchisement of what happened to us throughout history get in the way to us assimilating to what is going to ultimately put us in the best position mm-hmm. because oftentimes I would say evolving evolving okay we're going we're going to end this podcast okay. by changing assimilating to evolving okay by evolving mm-hmm. to a evolving different, and elevating uh, yes evolving and elevating 
to a different situation because that's how I don't see myself as a sellout just because I went to college and got fancy degrees and then I had to go put on a suit and tie and go downtown in a high rise and, you know, kind of speak a certain type of way and uh, make sure I conform to rules to the T and not bring a lot of attention to myself. Mm -hmm. Um, I evolved because I knew that doing that, commanded a $98,000 a year salary as opposed to $12 an hour over back on the other side of the town. Right. You and, and you didn't, I would say assimilation is more so like allowing, playing the game and allowing the game to play you. Mm-hmm. Evolving and elevating is playing the game, learn how to play the game, and you winning the game. And right. You using the game in your benefit. Exactly. Yeah. And absolutely. that's what it sounds to me what you've done. At least that's what I think. That's my yeah. perception because the whole I got since brand um, everything that I do, um, I would not be in the position and I would not have the knowledge and information um, to pass on to others and pay it forward in my own community if I didn't evolve mm-hmm. and become a part of corporate America. I could have stayed right there on the streets back in Florida and, uh, you know, been the biggest drug dealer uh, in town or I could be in prison right now doing 40 years or I could be dead. Um, those are pretty much the only three options I had where I came from. But as I evolved and I said, it's got to be a better way than hustling out here on the streets. I transitioned to something better. And uh, I, uh, after I did that transition, I kept on evolving and growing. And uh, here I am 54 years later. And um, I'm very happy with my life and I, I can provide my uh, family um, a, a great life uh, that they probably wouldn't have if I didn't do um, all of this evolving that we're talking about today. And I didn't let uh, history of slavery get in the way. Now, those who say I'm a sellout and a tool for the man and a coon and Uncle Sam, Uncle whoever, mm-hmm. all those things, um, well, hey, at the end of the day, um, I'm happy with who I am. And um, I still believe that I'm a pillar in the black community, and I get a lot of accolades from um, those people that are in my circles and those people that I pay it forward to. Absolutely, I appreciate you greatly, man. I mean, shoot, you've you've been a pillar in my life, and uh, you've helped me to reshape my mindset. Even though I've had a growth mindset, you've challenged me to um, look outside of myself at times. I mean. We've had a conversation recently about expanding the podcast and seeking outside. And our mm-hmm. conversation led me to being like, you know what? I might feel stretched in the moment, but I can do this. Right, so, right. no, I definitely appreciate you for that. And I want to also highlight the fact that um, me personally, I, I, I understand slavery. I've accepted it for what it, what it is. It does exist. It has, it has affected our people. Um, but I'm one of those. And if you're anything like me, you don't like to necessarily continue to talk about it or hear about it um i would just like to say that regardless of this is about our people black people we're a resilient people we're a strong people we've been placed in this world um with a lot against us Mm -hmm. and it's easy to look at that as a negative situation circumstance or scenario it's unfair 
But what I'm a firm believer is, is, is if you can conquer your unfair advantage, no one, nothing can stop you. So what I what I what I mean by that is. Me personally, I didn't I wasn't raised in the hood. I had a very blessed upbringing. I wasn't rich or wealthy, but I would say about a, a middle class family. And I was exposed to things that brought in my horizons. Um, but those of you who may be in households or may come from households that weren't necessarily middle or upper class or lower class. If you can overcome those situations and circumstances while simultaneously healing your traumas, the world is your Easter egg. Like the world is yours. Mm hmm. Because when you get into these corporate arenas or when you start your own business, there is a lot of tools that you can draw from based on what you've had to endure and encounter and overcome to yeah. get to where you're at. And to so pick, don't sell yeah. yourself short of your abilities or you being worthy or you being capable to succeed in your arena. And to piggyback on that, uh, Andre, uh, when you get into the realm of owning your own business mm -hmm. and doing your own thing and being an entrepreneur and all that, trust me, if you haven't learned how to evolve by yeah. then, you're going to learn how to evolve when you become a business owner. Where that coin at? <laughs> because it ain't nobody with dark skin like us that own the infrastructures yeah. of all the things and resources you need to own a business. We don't own the banks. We don't own City Hall. We don't own the industries where we get our raw materials and all our manufactured goods from at cost. We don't own any of that stuff. So mm -hmm. uh, when you get there and it's a, 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 a dollar on the bottom line at risk, you will learn how to evolve real, real quickly. And I think right. that the whole conversation today um, and us talking about that divide where some of us are willing to evolve and some of us are more militant and willing to die like a dog in the streets rather than evolve, mm -hmm. um, I think that mindset of being a militant has more so to do with being disenfranchised and dissatisfied with where you currently are in your own life. Mm -hmm. And I think if we all could sit around and talk and collectively come together and understand that ultimately we have to own the show instead of being in the show. Yeah. Cause that's where that that's why we're not getting any equity. Yeah. We're not getting any return on all our efforts and everything that we dominate mm -hmm. um, across multiple industries. We don't own anything. So while we might dominate it and be the best performers, we don't get any equity in it. and because we don't get any equity in it, then our collective voice we can't leverage to get what we want and we kind of stay like a hamster on a wheel. Um, and not move forward kind of like we see every other race of people and every other eth ethnicity that control or dominate the major markets where they have all the natural resources to set up and be the proprietor that sells everyone their services and goods. Does that make sense what I'm saying to you? Ooh. Shy, it sounds like you had the perfect segue in the next week's episode. Man, I'm getting good at this time. <laughs> <laughs> Man, look, folks, we definitely appreciate y'all for tuning in to this week's episode. I know it was a little heavier than you probably expected or anticipated, but it's necessary. You know, we ain't just here to talk shop. We ain't just here to talk some, 
cash and coins and investments we here to get your mindset right and have these strong conversations or tough conversations and we encourage you to have these conversations amongst your peers and your family and in your circles as well yeah that was our hope for us to have this here uh, podcast uh, topic um, help spark conversations uh, in your car ride mm-hmm. um, at the dinner table amongst your friends at the next get together um, that's what we intended to do here today and I think uh, we gave the people a good uh, talking piece absolutely and understand man we ain't coming for nobody we we love ourselves we love y'all we are resilient people we are strong right, we are capable right. of anything we put our minds and energy too why you think the world love us american culture is black culture to be honest but you know that's another topic for another day absolutely before we go can i get a folks a book recommendation you know you can um, i read this here book about four years ago um the title is the economics of slavery in america um it's by elias back and uh, it's uh, it talks about the finances behind the long and complex history of slavery in the United States and talk about some of the things we've talked about today. I'm going to have to look into that book. I haven't read that one. Add that to my wish list. They got and that I, on audio book? Uh, they have it. Uh, what's that? I'm uh, sure they online. Do. Okay. What is it called online? PD, uh, PDF? Like PDF. A, a digital copy? Yeah, they have okay. a digital copy of it. Yeah, so okay, you can okay, get it that okay. way. Put it on your Kindle or whatever electrical device you have. Well, one one last announcement before we dip. Y'all know we have the the 10K challenge going on. And yes, if sir. you want to be actively involved in it, all you got to do is open a brokerage account and grow it to 10K by the end of the year. And if you have a brokerage account, all you have to do is grow it an additional 10K by the end of the year. <laughs> and if you got big money, just add another zero to that. And if you got bigger money, add another zero to that by the end of the year. And if you need some help on what stock you should invest in, what needs to be in your portfolio, then you need to go over to Patreon and Ooh. search for the I Got Sense podcast. I give you some hot stock tips over there every Monday and throughout the week. And that will help you definitely grow your portfolio and get closer to meeting that 10K challenge. Absolutely. And to add to it, I mean, you get quotes from the mouth. Oh, that sounds weird. Quotes from the brother DJ Dividends. And some nice video content. <laughs> you get some video content, some behind the scenes. Shine's yes, currently in the transitional phase. Absolutely. Of, of, of uh, moving to, moving from the beautiful coastal ranchos Los Perlas Verdes <laughs> to the up and coming. Man, are you giving me credit for being up the hill? That's where them rich, rich folks are. <laughs> oh, well, I'm shoot. at the bottom of the hill in coastal San Pedro. There you go. That's still we, just as we, nice to me. We just somewhat <laughs> rich down here. <laughs> But yeah, y'all can go ahead and check out his journey on Patreon. He's also dropping some gems regarding real estate terminology and uh, getting invested into real estate as a primary also owner. Also interviewing That's, other entrepreneurs mm-hmm. and business owners. We got a lot of stuff mm-hmm. going on there. Great value over there. You can't find none of this content anywhere else. Not in the black culture. Yeah, it's a small contribution to support our uh, podcast. It's only $5 or 20 So uh, yes, with sir. 20 you get the full shebang. With 5 you just get... All the written know, articles. Yeah, you get all the written yeah. articles. So. Um, but man, we appreciate y'all. Uh, we love y'all be safe out there continue to grow and prosper and thank you for tuning in and getting you some sense yes sir we'll see y'all next week peace later